It is Free Talk Live, and as always, you're invited to join us, 603-283-6160. That's the number for you to do that. That's 603-283-6160. And with you on this edition of She Talk Live, it's Aria. Lori. And Nikki Sunshine. And there's a lot in the news today. One of the things probably not in the news today, though, or at least not outside of the keen New Hampshire sphere, sphere is that, in fact, nobody is free. Uh, that's the person also known as Rich Paul. I still call him Rich Paul. Anyway, <laughs> he was released from jail today, finally, almost three weeks after the magistrate or judge said ordered his release. Basically, it took them a a very long time to yeah. come up with the terms and conditions. As soon as those were done, he was finally released. Uh, Nikki, I think you went to the jail to see him? Um, I didn't go to the jail to pick him up, but I did go to meet him at um, one of the local restaurants. So that was very nice to see him. And I'm glad that he is free at last. And We're all, we're all very glad for it. And a lot of people are asking, you know, when's he going to be back on the show? Is he going to be able to host? The answer to all of those questions is no. The terms of his release pretty much prohibit him from making any public statements at all. And that that would include on the show. He's not allowed to do podcasts or talk to... I don't know about talking to the media, but if he's not allowed to do podcasts, presumably he's not allowed to talk to the media. So... Regrettably, he will not be able to be on the show or call in or anything like that, but he is free, and I don't know how he's doing beyond he's that. In, he's in good spirits. I, I imagine he spent a lot of time was, smiling today. Yes, it was nice to hear his laugh and see his smiling face. So He usually is in good spirits yes. in, in my experience with him, but um, I, I imagine today was a day for much happiness for yes. him. And of course, he's now on his way home, and there to await whatever is in the future but so that's wonderful that's good news and we're all happy about it, yep. it it's sad because you know i've been friends with him pretty much since i came to new hampshire that i can't just go wave at my friend and say hello but that's just how it is sometimes yep the last of the crypto six is finally free yes i'm happy to be able to say that and yes. hear that and no longer will it, well, it's still free, the Crypto 6, because the, the charges and all of that is still... It's still applicable, but... Out of, by free, I mean out of jail. <laughs> yes. So in the, in the rest of the world today, at least, um, there's stuff going on. New Orleans imposes a curfew to prevent violent crime or to prevent crime in general in the wake of Hurricane Ida because apparently outlawing crime just isn't enough. They have to make it extra illegal because now you're also breaking curfew I don't think they understand how this works. If someone's willing to break the law to loot stuff, they're probably willing to break the curfew law as well. I can't go out and rob anywhere. I got a bedtime. <laughs> yeah, right. In other horrible news, the American military left a bunch of dogs and cats behind in Afghanistan. That's not surprising. But I'm asking, is the Afghanistan fiasco the end of the American empire? And I'm not the only one asking this. Surprisingly, we have mainstream media asking this question how does an empire die usually in afghanistan i'm told often it seems there is a growing sense of decay and then something happens a single event that proves the tipping point after the second world war great britain was all about was all but bankrupt and its empire was in shreds but it soldiered soldiered on thanks to a u.s government loan and the new cold war that allowed it to maintain the outward appearance of a global player 
they in February of 1989, when the Soviet Union withdrew its military from Afghanistan after a failed nine-year attempt to pacify the country, the United States, of course, spent 20 years in that futile effort. It did so in a carefully choreographed ceremony that telegraphed solemnity and dignity, much, very much unlike the rushed, chaotic mess that was the U.S. withdrawal. An orderly procession of tanks moved north across the Friendship Bridge, and they go into a lot of boring details here that aren't interesting. The tri- Gr- Gromov, that who that was the Russian military guy at the time, triumphal speech was not quite the equivalent of George W. Bush mission accomplished following the 2003 Iraq invasion. I've never watched that speech. Have either of you? I have not. I'm not sure what the mission was in Iraq that they could have accomplished. Yeah, I know. That's a great point. I don't watch many political speeches, to be completely honest. Yeah, I I tend not to as well. (laughs) I tried to tune out politicians and bureaucrats as much as possible. (laughs) For all of the talk of internationalist duty, the Afghanistan that the Soviets left behind was a charnel ground. Out of its population of 12 million people, as many as 2 million civilians had been killed in the war. More than 5 million had fled the country and another 2 million were internally displaced. Officially, only 15,000 or so Soviet troops had been killed, although the real figure may be much higher, and 50,000 more soldiers were wounded. So it was a devastating war for them as well. But it was only 18 months after the Soviet withdrawal from Afghanistan that a group of hardliners tried to launch a coup against the reformist premier, Michael Gorbachev. But they had miscalculated their power and popular support in the face of public demonstrations against them. They soon failed, followed by the collapse of the Soviet Union itself. Of course, by then, much beyond the Soviet Union's Afghan quagmire, had conspired to fatally weaken the once powerful empire from within. I don't think it. I don't think Afghanistan is that that big of a slice of American history. I mean, it it was a large war and a very long lasting war, but financially, I don't think it represents as large a percentage of what the U.S. government has spent as say. COVID-19. Yeah, probably not. I think COVID-19 is most likely to represent the end of the American empire, but, you know, the fall of Afghanistan, as it were, probably is just the telegraphing of that. While the two events are humiliatingly comparable, only time will tell whether the old adage about Afghanistan's being the graveyard of empires proves as true for the U.S. as it did for the Soviet Union. I just find it interesting that they're willing to admit that the U.S. is an empire. I don't see a lot of that from the mainstream media, but they're absolutely willing to admit that. It is true for the time being that American military, that America retains its military prowess and its economic strength. That last one's not true. America's economic strength is plummeting. But for two decades now, it has seemed increasingly unable to effectively harness either of them to its advantage. Instead of enhancing its hegemony by deploying its strengths wisely, it has repeatedly squandered its efforts diminishing both its aura of invincibility and its standing in the eyes of other nations. God, they go on for a long time about unrelated nonsense. So that's pretty much it. I'm done with this article. It, it is not very related to the topic at hand about, you know, the major signs we're seeing about the possible collapse of the American empire, such as the massive amounts of inflation that we've seen since, you know, COVID-19 started. They, they just turned on the printer supply and they haven't stopped. Just in the past couple of years... Yeah. Just in the last couple of months. Something well, like 20% of the entire 2025 more than that. I of, think it's like closer to 30. Well, the I, I mean, it's growing every day. The entire money supply in U.S. history was created within the last year. <laughs> yeah. 
That's and meanwhile, the government's can, yeah, they're giving it inflation numbers at like five percent and things like that. And we're looking at it like, no, dude, inflation is closer to like thirty percent at this point. And, and that's hard to even fathom. It is. Those are big numbers. Thirty percent is a lot. Yeah, food prices are going up. Restaurants yeah. are raising their prices. The only thing not going up really are wages. Yeah, but that's, that's true. That's usually the way it works. And I'm not. I, I'm not saying that you know an increase in, in the minimum wage is the way to solve this problem or anything like that. There's nothing the government can do to solve this problem. It can only make it worse, and it's doing everything it can to make things worse. Worse. Going through the news today, I saw something about a fourth stimulus check. That's on top of yeah, I saw that too. Yep. The monthly child support check that's coming out to everyone in America who has kids. And the government just reminding everybody that it's your daddy yep. is basically what that is. Right. And they also gave out $1,200 last year to every American citizen, then $600 more, and then $1,400 more. So what, is, what does that come to? Almost $4,000 yeah. to every single American, not to mention the unemployment benefits. The unemployment boosts. Those were insanity. Nobody wanted to go back to work because it was it was so much. They yeah. still don't want to go back to work. It, yeah. Well, it's a lot insane. of people, a lot of people, especially minimum wage workers, were making more on unemployment right. before they even got that extra little bonus that they were like four hundred dollars extra a week or whatever it was. I think it was six. Six hundred. Six hundred dollars a week. It did start at six hundred. So yeah. why why would you go back to work? Honestly, <laughs> why would you? Yeah. I don't know. I don't blame any of those people. But you know, when you go to a restaurant now and their average wait time is like two and a half hours because yeah. they have two waitresses. It's now like, you know yeah. why. There's a problem. 603-283-6160 if you want to join us at 603-283-6160. There's more coming up here. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live. You're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you want to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria, Nikki, and Lori. And I've seen stuff about the Texas abortion bill, but I don't know the details about it because Texas is pretty remote from my concerns these days. So when I see it, I'm just like, oh, yep, that's Texas being Texas, and I carry on. But evidently, their new ban essentially bans abortions because any after six weeks are prohibited. Yep. Um, So it says, Texas enacted the nation's strictest state-level abortion ban Wednesday, prohibiting the procedure in most cases after six weeks of pregnancy. Um, And then, so any... Anything six weeks before six weeks, you're not even going to know you're pregnant at that point. Yeah, I wouldn't think so because, I mean... You're not going to know you're pregnant until, you know, you miss your period or whatever. Right. So you have like a two week window there to figure that out. And that seems extremely unlikely. Right. Uh, So it says the court is still considering the request from abortion providers and their advocates and could act at any time to block the ban. But the justice's failure to move quickly left clinics in Texas saying that for now they would not provide abortions more than six weeks from a woman's last period. From your last period. So you're only four weeks pregnant. Wow, that's crazy. I, I'm trying to think of the cases where people would even get an abortion that early. Mm-hmm. I think normally, well, one, you wouldn't know, but you'd wait a little bit longer than that, I would think. 
Yeah, I think it was 12, 12 weeks was like the the standard before. Yeah, like while well, you're still in your first trimester. Right. But but they're saying that once a heartbeat is detectable, and which is six, six weeks, weeks. Okay. which is six weeks. Yeah. Um, so it says providers said the ban, which relies on private citizens to sue people who help women get forbidden abortions, effectively eliminates the guarantee in Roe versus Wade and subsequent Supreme Court decisions that women have the right to end their pregnancies before viability and that states may not impose undue burdens on that decision. It was specifically designed to turn away pre-enforcement challenges in federal courts. If the Supreme Court declines to intervene, the most likely challenge would come after the law is used by a private citizen. Then the person sued... Yeah, because that's the weird thing about this, yeah. is that they, they're they not going to have police monitoring this or you know whatever, however, whatever system they would have in place... Private citizens have to monitor this and sue people yeah. in so, order for it to be brought into the light, I yeah. guess. There will be no official, um, you know, enforcement, enforcement of it. It will be private citizens suing anyone that they say has helped anyone else get an abortion. But how far does that extend? If I, I know drive that's kind you, of just like hearsay, right? Right. Too? If I drive you to the abortion clinic, is that me helping you get an abortion? Is it just the providers? Is it somebody yeah, who gave you a phone number? Now. You know, how is this going to be abused by people? You, oh, my ex-girlfriend, she I hate her now. I'm going to call and get her sued for helping someone get an abortion that she didn't even do. Like, you know, anyone can sue anyone. And it's $10,000 minimum. Wow. Do you guys know how big a baby is at six weeks? It's I don't have any idea. It's like just a clump of cells. It's a, pea, a grain of rice. Yeah. Oh, wow. One single <laughs> grain of rice. That's how big the fetus is. And they want to ban the Yes. I don't even... I'm trying to think of, of how pregnancy. many cells it would even be. Not enough. <laughs> Not enough to be a person that survives outside of someone else's body. No, but I just can't that's imagine... That's one of the best pro, pro-choice arguments I've ever heard, is that abortion isn't killing a fetus, it's terminating a pregnancy. Right. Because it's all about the body rights of the woman. And a lot of libertarians don't seem to get this, is that, okay... Sure, maybe you agreed to get pregnant and you agreed to allow this thing. You consented to have this thing growing in your body. It doesn't matter. You can still withdraw consent at any time. Yeah, absolutely. Things things happen, though. You know, what if it was a case of rape? What if uh, the condom broke? What if your birth control failed? Like there are so many possibilities where you took the precautions and you still get pregnant. Well, and there's a lot of medical reasons why you would have to have an abortion even later. Right. Some women have had to have an abortion in the third trimester because their baby died. So, And you're going to make her have a stillborn birth. I mean, at that point, she would have to, even if they initiated the um, the birth because it's a full baby. But either way, if, if, it, the, if the fetus isn't viable or if it's going to be very, very sick when it's born, I can't even think of any argument anyone would have to say that that is, you know, immoral. So I'm O negative. And when you're pregnant and you're O negative, you're supposed to get the shot called the Rogam shot, which stops your body from creating antibodies that kills your baby if they have a different blood type. Say I didn't know I was pregnant and I didn't get the shot and I had some kind of blood intermixing between me and my baby. I had some kind of, um, you know, hemorrhaging within my body. And that baby would then need blood transfusions inside of me. Jesus. If that would even work, that might if not that even would work. work. And that the baby still might work. not survive. And the baby still might come out with serious health problems. You're telling me in that situation, the quality of life for me and that baby is is going to be so wonderful that I should just continue on? I don't think so. 
To get back to your, your point, Nikki, I don't think a lot of people realize what it means to get a third trimester abortion out of a medical necessity. I mean, once they reach the third trimester, I mean, that, that mother has already picked out a name for that child, yep. probably has already it's painted a, the bedroom. It's basically a full-grown baby. It's at least like four pounds at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not an easy decision for a person to make. Right. That's a That's a person that you've been, you know, inside of you can feel them move. They can hear yeah. you. They respond to your voice. And imagine you're already going through all that trauma of having to make this decision and having to do this and go through all of this physical and emotional trauma. And now people are calling you a murderer and whatever else and trying to, you know, sue you and put you in prison for doing something that was already very, very hard to do. And might save your life. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that. Not only um, do they have this whole abortion ban, but Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has approved stem cell therapy for adults, which isn't that the height of hypocrisy? We can use stem cells, but you can't have an abortion. Where are you getting those stem cells? You're trucking them in from out of state? like. Yeah, and if you don't know what stem cells are, they basically come from, in lesser terms, aborted fetuses. Right. So, And he took, he took Regeneron um, when he was diagnosed with COVID, which is uh, monoclonal monoclonal antibody therapy which is made with stem cells so i'm not surprised to hear that uh, abbott is a hypocrite at the very (laughs) least i mean most politicians are i mean there were countless pictures during the COVID 19 um, pandemic of politicians telling people you got to wear masks you got to social distance and then they're out there at parties or whatever and they're not wearing masks or they go on vacation while in the middle of a lockdown i think michigan's governor did this yeah. I mean, several probably, of them Probably did. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, don't leave your house. Meanwhile, they're like partying in Cancun. Right. Yeah. So hypocrisy among politicians, not a new thing. But th- this is striking that they, Texas has allowed stem cell um, stuff to be done with adults. Yeah. But meanwhile, they're banning all abortions over six weeks. Yeah. Is there more to the story? Um, I know the fine is $10,000. It's $10, not really $10, a fine either. A private citizen has to sue you. And the minimum that you will have to pay to that private citizen who was not harmed in any way by your actions is 10000 But the, how could the private citizen possibly claim to have any legal standing? Well, I mean, what better way to get neighbors against each other than to dangle $10,000 in front of them? Yeah, but legal standing is a is a thing, right? You're not victimized by this. You're not harmed by this in any way whatsoever. You just know about it. Yeah, it's a great what, question. Was there legal standing to actually bring... Won't someone think of the children? I don't think Probably. they did. <laughs> 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. When Monster Hunter International discovers one of Isaac Newton's wardstones being auctioned off, they decide to steal it and use it to destroy the Chaos God once and for all. But a mysterious thief upends their plan, and it soon becomes a race against time as something much older and infinitely more evil awakens in the jungles of South America. Monster Hunter Bloodlines by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa and Bane Books. Visit MonsterHunterNation.com for more. Yeah! It's Free Talk Live. As always, you can join us. 
603-283-6160. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Lori. And Nikki. And I want to tell you about Bitcoin.com. It is the best place to go to learn about cryptocurrency. Just click getting started at the top and take a few minutes out of your day to learn about this important world-changing information. Because there's never been a better time. Bitcoin... It's climbing and falling. As far as I'm aware, it's still hovering around the $48,000 mark at the moment. But yep, it's been going up. It's only going to continue going up because the USD is only going to continue going down. So it really doesn't matter whether or not the demand for Bitcoin increases. What it's measured against is steadily going down. So Bitcoin is a way to escape from the U.S. inflationary monetary policy. But maybe you already know that and you already know the basics of cryptocurrency. Well, check out news.bitcoin.com to stay up to date on all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you. Bitcoin.com is your source for everything crypto-related, so check it out. Bitcoin.com. Now, we're talking about the Texas abortion ban and how stupid it is because, as as you both have pointed out, most people won't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. I mean, that's two weeks of missed periods. I don't know what that really is like, but it sounds like it would be rare for someone to catch it, to catch that information and know that they're pregnant and then to arrange to have an abortion all within that two week period. Right. Most people don't track their cycles. You know, most people are just like, oh, it's around this time unless they're mm. trying to get pregnant. Yeah. So you're just one day you're like, I haven't gotten my period in a while. I should probably take a test. And then boom, you're eight weeks pregnant. It, yeah. And that's normally at eight. Yeah. 10, 12, you know, right. it's not at six weeks. No. <laughs> okay, see, I never thought about that. That makes obvious sense. They're, they're not sitting around with the calendar going, okay, it's been exactly yeah. four weeks, so maybe something's wrong. Right, and everybody has different cycles too, and your cycle can fluctuate. Some some months you have 28 days, some months you have 32 days. Like, everybody has a different My, normal. I knew someone that didn't know she was pregnant until she was in her second trimester. Like, she was wow. just bigger. She... Had a very irregular period, and she just didn't think anything of it. And then she was well, and she was almost, I think she was at least like 20 weeks or something. Like, she was like halfway through her pregnancy, and she had no clue. Some people have breakthrough bleeding, too. Like, somebody with a really light cycle can have breakthrough bleeding every month and still think they're getting their period. Yeah, it's very common, actually. Until they're really pregnant, like, you know, six months pregnant. So this six-week abortion ban, it's... It raised the question of what does it mean to assist someone with getting abortion? And you actually found that. It did. So it says the legislation is different from most other heartbeat bills. They've all, all the other ones have been blocked, but this one did not get blocked. Um, so it's different is that it takes the pressure off enforcing the law from government by allowing private citizens to sue an abortion provider or anyone who aids and abets anyone who wants to get an abortion. This can include driving them to an appointment helping with funds to pay for the procedure or providing information on how to get an abortion. Removing government officials from the process makes legal challenges to the law more difficult. Certainly. And it makes it like it. And if Texas had, was criminalizing it, right, you wouldn't be breaking the law if you drove someone to Arizona or Oklahoma to get an abortion. Right. But under these terms, someone could still sue you for having done that, even though it's not illegal they, they didn't criminalize it per se they didn't add jail time or anything like that they just mm-hmm. said okay you can be sued by private citizens and you will have to pay them for whatever reason at at minimum ten thousand dollars yeah and it, in order for this to be challenged in the supreme court that has to actually happen right that's just, it's just such like a weird way 
to go about this, to have basically the state of Texas is going through private citizens to kind of pin people against each other. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. have to pay the other person that's suing you a fine for what offending them for getting an abortion. Or like it had helping, nothing to do with them for helping someone for giving someone a phone number to an abortion clinic. He could be sued, you know? Oh, good point. Yeah. 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 So then, then there's so at what least- about Google. Then there's at least three sue people. Google. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to sue Google when people are Googling stuff? Like, are you kidding? It's just, it makes no sense to me. It doesn't. But then you have, I mean, look at how many people can be sued in this typical transaction. It's like, okay, sure, here's the number for Planned Parenthood. And sure, your, your other friend's going to give you a ride and your boyfriend's going to help pay for it. And then there's Planned Parenthood. That's four different people who can be sued. So that's $40,000 for the potential claimant the plaintiff whatever who hasn't been harmed by this in any way anyway right suing over it absolutely insane well hopefully this comes up before the uh supreme court of texas because i can't imagine that that's going to hold up i know i'm sure this won't last long because there's so many flaws in this system and it honestly makes no sense at all to me as I understand it, uh, almost all of the other attempts by Republican states to impose things like this have also been struck down, haven't yep. they? Yeah, they've all Every been time. blocked. Every time. This is the only one that wasn't blocked. It took effect today. So this is actually in effect right now? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Move to Insane. New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> well, doesn't, isn't New Hampshire uh, weird about abortions as well? I don't know anything about that. I don't know. I know they're weird about midwifery stuff, which is kind of like my forte slash field but um are they do they not allow they are no they it's not that they don't allow midwives but that they just have stricter laws than actually believe it or not massachusetts massachusetts is one of the freest states as far as um midwifery goes Hmm. and you don't have to get a license in massachusetts but i believe you have to get a license to be a midwife in new hampshire in arizona you can't even have a home birth that's crazy yeah oh my gosh I'm pretty sure that abortion is at least heavily restricted. I can't just look it up, but the abortion laws in New Hampshire, if I remember correctly, they're they're not very lenient or very good. Hmm. But that's not surprising with so many Republicans in the legislature. You know, in, in New Hampshire, at least you're only an hour away from another state. In Texas, you're also true. You're you know hours and hours and hours and hours and hours away. I mean, here in Keene, we're like 30 minutes away from Vermont, which probably has fairly loose abortion regulations. Right. I mean, it's it's legal, and I think that's okay. pretty much it's still better than Texas. It's, <laughs> yeah. It would be hard to be worse than Texas, yeah. for sure, with Texas yeah, basically weaponizing citizens against each other to enforce what is ultimately just religious beliefs on behalf of the Republican legislature. Yep. But that's not new, and it's not surprising. That's, that's what government does, and when you have these conservative states, that's the kind of silly thing they attempt to do. And we saw it during the Trump administration. Mississippi attempted it. Georgia attempted it. Arkansas attempted it. All of them wanted to be the first to fight this battle out in the Supreme Court to get Roe versus Wade overturned, and I don't think any of them were successful. No. So I think you were thinking of New Hampshire having stricter abortion laws because uh, this June they were trying to pass a bill— about it was called the abortion access bill I believe. okay i that may have been it so they, I don't know. they were trying to pass some sort of abortion ban but i don't think anything i don't think it ever went anywhere oh the no it was the fetal life protection act oh that sounds that sounds like some silly 
So Texas-esque the, nonsense. The proposal would prohibit abortions at or after 24 weeks gestation, except in cases of medical emergency. Currently, New Hampshire is one of seven states that has no gestational limit on abortion procedures. Okay. What, what does that mean? You can, you can get them all the way to the end. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which, so which you should be able to, because if you're getting an abortion in the third trimester, it's for a medical reason. Right. Nobody goes through their entire pregnancy and then is like, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to abort this baby because at that point, the baby is full grown and you're still going to have to deliver that baby. Yeah. It's not just like how you think of an abortion. Like it's just some minor procedure. It's it's really never a minor procedure. Even in the first trimester, it's still kind of a, a big deal for the woman having it. You know, it's a big decision to make. It's not just... I think a lot of people have the common misconception, oh, these women are just using abortions as birth control. And that is not how it is at all. It's a medical procedure. Even yes. even the morning after pill, you take it and you're going through intense pain and like cramping and bleeding and for days, you know, it's a mis- it's an induced miscarriage and they're painful. It's definitely not a minor procedure. I know when I took my sister to the abortion clinic uh, in Arkansas, she was, I think it was a two day process. They had yeah, to do part of it one day and part of it the next. And she was not well for weeks after that. I mean, it's it's not a minor thing, and it's not a decision that anyone really makes lightly. Right. And, of course, this was Arkansas, so they did have protesters outside of it, and I got to yell at them, and that Aww. was fun. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? I'm sure a lot of people out there are shouting at us. Do it in person or on the phone, 603-283-616. Talk Live, where you can join us, weigh in with your opinions, talk about whatever is on your mind. I know we're broadcasting a lot of conservative radio stations, so I'm really kind of surprised we don't have an influx of callers who want to tell us why we're wrong about abortion. But hey, maybe you agree with us. Maybe you disagree. 603-283-6160. You know, here at Free Talk Live, we're big supporters of decentralization, moving away from centralized control mechanisms like Twitch and YouTube and Facebook. And because of that, we've migrated to Odyssey as our, it's our I don't want to say primary streaming channel because we don't really have a primary streaming channel, but we do have the one that we actually care about and pay attention to. And that's the Odyssey channel. You can find it at video.freetalklive.com. And the reason for all of that is that we're constantly getting kicked off of the centralized platforms. Facebook, uh, at least on one occasion, I don't pay attention to it, but they they immediately, one minute into the show, flagged us with the COVID-19 misinformation thing. Our YouTube channel has received several strikes. So if you want to be able to actually watch our show and not worry about getting censored, plus on Wednesday nights, usually... We're, we're topless in the show, and we can't do that on Twitch and YouTube without getting, obviously, kicked off. So video.freetalklive.com. That's where you can find our uncensored videos that just will not be deleted and will always be there for you to watch. But sometimes decentralization just isn't enough. I mean, what do you do when the government shuts down the Internet entirely? It's the new authoritarian weapon of choice. And some 850 internet blackouts have been documented in the last decade in countries around the globe, 90% of them in the last five years, all orchestrated by governments. 
Over the last decade, governments worldwide have intentionally shut down the internet at least 850 times. What's behind this troubling trend? More people are getting online and getting access to the internet, someone said. As governments see this as a threat, they start thinking the internet is something they need to control. Now think about that and the story we talked about a night or two ago, or the, yes, Monday night, where the U.S. government is actually flagging posts for Facebook to review and remove. So Facebook and the U.S. government working directly together, and it's because they want to control the internet. It's no different in the United States than it is in North Korea or China. Yeah, they just go about it a different route. And a lot of people are making the argument, because it is it is a restriction on free speech, and people are making the argument, well, it's a private company, so they have the right to do whatever they want. But when Facebook is in bed with the U.S. government... It ceases to be a private company. And when these companies are getting money from the government, taxpayer money from the government, I think that's when it stops being a private company and when their censorship is a restriction on free speech. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know about Facebook receiving money for the government or any of that. I don't know what's going on there. But I do know that when you have the when the U.S. government is telling Facebook what posts to remove They're intertwined, and Facebook is part of the state, and your free speech rights should apply, but they don't because, quote, Facebook is a private company, a private company that is doing its work on behalf of the U.S. government, at the U.S. government's orders and discretion, by the way, fully fascist over there at Facebook. So these staggering statistics come from a new report released Wednesday by Access Now and Jigsaw, a division of Alphabet, Google which also enjoys uh, censoring people, that focuses on addressing societal threats with technology. The report documents the history of Internet shutdowns over the last decade, the economic toll shutdowns take on the countries that impose them. Oh, they mean Internet shutdowns. It's too bad they don't mean lockdowns, too. That's what I thought at first. It's like, oh, my God, Google's doing research into the economic toll of lockdowns? <laughs> that would be amazing. But no, they took out Don't Be Evil from their guidelines. Palacio Antonio leads Access Now's campaign, which has now doc- been documenting internet access and internet shutdowns since 2016. He said, internet shutdowns don't ensure stability or resolve crises that are happening. It's actually endangering people's lives. The report published in Jigsaw's publication, The Current, traces the recent spate of internet shutdowns back to the five-day shutdown in Egypt in 2011. And I think... I remember hearing about that at the time, right after the military coup that they that the Obama administration refused to admit was a military coup. They shut down the Internet for five days. I don't know. That was almost a decade ago or at least a decade ago. Although exact data on every shutdown that has ever happened is non-existent and smaller scale blackouts had taken place before that, never before had an entire country, one where more than a quarter of the population was connected to the Internet, simply severed itself from the open web. Now, here in the United States, significantly more than a quarter of the population is connected to the Internet. And I don't think the mechanism really exists for the government to pull the plug on it. But it's not from lack of trying. I know SOPA and PIPA, they're they're constantly putting forward legislation that will allow them to basically shut down the Internet. It keeps getting blocked, thankfully. But it's inevitable that they will get something approved that allows for that. Egypt's shutdown sparked condemnation from some Western countries, but the number of internet blackouts has only expanded since then. 
These are often timed to elections in countries around the world, costing the economies of those countries billions of dollars. One estimate cited in the study suggests that Myanmar, which has had a string of severe shutdowns, may have lost 2.5% of its GDP as a result, which is about half the damage wrought by the Great Recession on the U.S. in less than a third of the time. Wow. So, yeah, that's a that's pretty... A, yeah, that's significant. Does it say what these societal dangers are that they're trying to protect people from? I, the, the governments are trying to protect people from? Yeah, to why they shut down what are these dangers? Oh, Information? No, of course oh, not. I thought, the, I thought they were saying the opposite. I thought they were saying that shutting down the internet was a societal danger, but they're saying they're doing it to prevent people from societal dangers? I don't know what the governments are saying, but I think you're correct and that the okay. article here and the people behind it are like, hey, this is this is dangerous to yeah. society and it's okay. causing people to get killed and it's causing people to lose well, money. Because think of if they did this in America, I a lot of people would not be able to survive without some sort of internet connection. You know, people wouldn't be able to get to work without their GPS. People wouldn't be able to, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that people just rely on the internet for. I've actually lived uh, this year without internet access at all, and it is difficult. Uh, when I got released from jail, I was allowed initially no oh, internet access this, yeah. whatsoever until you know I had talked to my supervisory officer and gotten approval for certain things, which I knew would happen, but it would take a few days. So for those first three or four days, it's boring without yeah. internet. And when you look at all of my music, I stopped downloading and buying music a long time ago because I discovered Spotify. Yeah. So I just always streamed my music. Suddenly, I had nothing to listen to. You're like at looking all. for a CD? Yeah. Well, I didn't even have a CD player because oh, no. why would I? I yeah, couldn't watch any movies. You would just use your phone or your computer. Yeah. Couldn't watch any movies or any television because obviously, why would I? I can just stream those from Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Right. But no, suddenly I couldn't. I don't even have phone service. Like I just use Telegram. So yeah. if you know, if I'm yeah. home with my kids and my daughter, my daughter has asthma. Like she has an asthma attack, and there's no internet. How am I supposed to get in touch with my husband? Mm. You know. Yeah. Not to mention, yeah. If they took a lot of my, they took my entire key ring when they raided my place and you know searched everything. They took my key ring for whatever reason. Luckily, I didn't have my Eclipse key on that particular key ring. So I still had my Eclipse key, but it didn't even occur to me when a friend dropped me off and I went inside that I was entering a place where I wouldn't be able to contact anyone. And if they hadn't left my Eclipse key, I would have just been stranded stranded there there, all night. And I still had to go out and get, you know, cigarettes and stuff. Yeah. So it was, it sucks being without internet, not being able to text anyone or communicate with anyone because that's the majority of how people communicate these days is, Through digital devices. And I don't know about you guys, but I haven't had cable or a landline in a long time. Neither have I. Me neither. You know, I just stream everything off of, you know, Netflix or whatever. Yeah, that's what I do as well. I still do it. But having four days without anything whatsoever to do. And then I hope you had books. I did. Did you have books? I do have books now. Oh, but you were using like digital books? Yes. I was using the, oh, uh, digital oh books. Oh my gosh, then. so you literally had nothing. Yeah. All I could do was hang out with my cats and play the guitar, so that's what I did. Oh man. So they did at least leave my music equipment behind, right? So I mean, that was nice of them. But I mean, it wasn't really that bad because I still had my car so I could go and I talked yeah. to friends and all of that. But yeah, once once like five o'clock hit and my other friends were at work and my other friends were doing Free Talk Live and my other friends were, I'm not allowed to legally contact, I was like, God. All right, cats, you and me again. (laughs) Are you having fun, cats? Because I'm not. (laughs) 
But ultimately, I did get all of... Not all of that back, but most of that back. I can stream Hulu and stuff like that, but... It's a challenging experience, and I would urge anyone out there to just give it a shot one weekend. Just yeah. totally disconnect everything from the internet and see how it goes. Because it's it's not a fun experience, and governments are forcing that on their citizens. We're going to talk more about that. That's coming up. And also coming up, possibly a all of the people involved in a police murder incident have been indicted. So, good news. After a devastating war, the alien visitors were driven back, and their willing human collaborators were left behind to face the music. When Emma Jean Anderson's ex-lover springs her from prison, Nathan Foster and his 14-year-old nephew Ben are tasked with bringing the pair to justice. An easy enough job until they discover something is inside Emma Jean, and the fate of the planet hangs in the balance. The Family Business by Mike Coopery from BaneBooks.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and you're invited to join us. 603-283-6160 is the number for that. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. Lori and Nikki. And we're talking about government shutdowns of the internet. And again, I just have to challenge anyone to just take one weekend or even just a 24-hour period and don't prepare for it, right? Because you don't you don't get to go out and buy a bunch of books before the government shuts down your internet. So don't prepare for it. Don't go ahead and download a bunch of movies or buy a bunch of DVDs or whatever. Just suddenly, one day, pull the plug, see how far you make it before you have to turn the internet back on. It's it's a harrowing experience, yeah. and governments around the world have done it 850 times, most of them in the last five years. And, you know, this story here talks about the economic impact and the devastation that that's happened, and it goes on. That's to say nothing of the impact of shutdowns on individuals, some of whom shared their stories with Access Now for the report. A Ugandan woman told the story of how she went to town to use the ATM, only to find that it wasn't working and neither was anything else connected to the Internet. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about that either. So if she doesn't have cash on her, there's no card payments. She's just SOL. Oh my gosh, yeah. So she wouldn't even be able to buy groceries or anything for her family. Everything was down and everyone seemed confused about what was happening and stranded like me, the woman wrote. There's more about this and it's worth getting into because it's disgusting what governments are capable of doing and what they want to be capable of doing. But we are a Colin show. We have a caller. So let's go to Gabriel from Minnesota. Gabriel, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, well, one thing I thought was pretty encouraging, at least potentially, was um, that Jordan Peterson had an interview with uh, Bob Murphy. Um, he had him on there to talk about Austrian economics, and Jordan Peterson seemed really uh, interested in trying to absorb and comprehend the, the concepts there. Jordan Peterson is sort of one of these these right-wing talking people, right? Uh, to some extent, I'm not sure if he has a, a direct political affiliation. I mean, some of his points are uh, uh, leaning slightly left, but mostly uh, mostly right as far as that spectrum goes. Isn't he the dude that said, isn't he the one who's fixated on like um, 
Taylor Swift's eggs and whether or not she can get pregnant past 30? Uh, I'm not sure. I know he's a psychologist in that he's been on Joe Rogan and stuff. But yeah, he, he kind that. of defied the uh, the the policies at his university where he was a professor. Uh, I don't know if he still is, um, but he kind of made his name by like defying the idea that you have to have to uh, say their pronouns however they want, or else you're you're committing hate crime somehow. Um, but uh, I just found it really encouraging. He's he's basically been a kind of an idol um, for a lot of the younger men out there these days who are you know kind of feeling I don't I don't know how to describe it sort of insufficient and he kind of encourages them so then they look up to him but okay. uh, yeah that's that's what I, I well, it's get good to be a positive role model of. sure um, but you said you want so, to talk about violence yeah I also want to talk about violence uh, the difference between violence and self-defense um, so I was reading John Locke's two treatises on civil government government. Well, to be and, fair, um, self-defense is violence. The argument is just that it's justified violence. Well, I wanted to look at the word a little bit. Um, violence is kind of a derivative of violation and a peaceful person is the one being violated. So if somebody initiates uh, force, harmful force wrongfully against another, then that would be an act of violence. But the other one who's on the defensive uh, using also force wouldn't be called violent force. There'd just be defensive force, right? I, I would call it defensive violence, sure. And I mean, well, sure. The other person initiated a violation. Uh, the defense. I mean, the etymology of the word the doesn't part. matter. Words change in their meanings okay. over time. I mean, we can go back to using 15th century definitions of words if you want, but none of us would be able to carry on a meaningful conversation. To me, that's the part that matters. And, what does violence mean today in English? And it's yeah. behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. Yeah. That is the violence that's that I would okay. go with because that's what all of us understand violence to mean. Sure, in modern parlance. But if you want to get into the ph philosophical perspective of it, uh, digging it back a little bit, it's not very far to go to see that it's derived from the word violation. And a peaceful person is the one being violated. Uh, their defensive force in response to that, according to John Locke, um, the violator, the initial violator. So we're back to the 17th century to get our definitions. Uh, well, he's one of the foremost thinkers still on the, the concepts of how to apply property rights and how to distinguish between legitimate or illegitimate um, leadership, basically. So, I mean, are we I also going to go to the 17th century for definitions of marriage? Uh, I don't know. That doesn't matter to me. That's kind of a thing between two people and God, right? But that's not what the 17th, that's not how John Locke understood it. I don't think I read anything in his two treaties on civil government. For, I didn't uh, say marriage. he wrote anything about it, but I guarantee you oh. that John Locke back then, he understood that defi the definition of marriage was a betrothal thing involving bridal dowries and basically a father selling their daughter into being a wife. Should we go back to that since we're using their definitions of <laughs> to, things? To join together in communion of interest to produce children or advancement of the species is John Locke's definition of marriage. Oh, so he does indeed have one. Oh, so, yeah. okay, so find it himself. Okay, interesting. Okay, so he is against gay marriage. So are we, are we okay. going back to being against gay marriage because John Locke said that marriage was to produce children? 
No, nah, I mean, somebody can be right on a few, on some things and then wrong on a couple. So, you know, it, I, I wouldn't hold him up as some paragon of ultimate virtue, but he did have a good definition there on uh, who's a violator and who's not. His description was like, if somebody violates a peaceful person, they're initiating a state of war. Uh, and in that case, they're, they're basically volunteering that they put all themselves on the line, their risk uh, all the way up to and including the loss of their own life if they're going to violate somebody, uh, a peaceful person's rights to I, property or, yeah. I agree with that. Sure. I, so it, that helps us define what violence is. Defensive force would probably even in today's technical terms ought not to be considered, uh, self-defense shouldn't be considered violence. But it is literally violence in the modern sense. It's just uh, justified violence. It still shouldn't be considered. I'm saying we're, we're calling it. It's not violence. aggression, but it is violence. But violence is violating someone. Yes. If you people. if you use a 17th century definition of the word and you don't want to communicate oh, to anyone who I lives in the 21st century. I mean, if you want to have a conversation with John Locke, absolutely use his definitions. If you want to have a conversation with someone living today, use their definitions. So to me, self-defense would be defined as preventing suffering or violence the prevention of violence would be self-defense thank you tonight for the call gabriel uh, etymology is a weird thing i mean words change over time the, the same people who want to you know the, there's a big push to use the the historically correct meaning of gender to mean sex and it's like okay look but if you go just one step further back gender is just a synonym for category it's a yeah. category of thing so definition is what they used to mean, not relevant to me at all. I, I don't care how the ancient Romans defined a thing. I don't care how John Locke defined a thing. What I care is how can I communicate with people? And yeah. sure, I understand if I'm going to read John Locke, I have to understand his definitions for things. Or like Shakespeare. It's like I remember mm. in high school reading Shakespeare was like you had to decipher everything they were saying and you had to like full on analyze it. And it took you like the entire semester to read the play. Yeah. Because it was, and it was probably like less than a hundred pages that you were reading, but it was just so crazy to decipher as a high schooler that you literally needed it to be broken down to understand what they were saying. Yeah, it, you have you run into that a lot when reading a lot of the founding fathers and stuff like that. The words they used are not only spelled differently than how we spell them today, but they mean they mean entirely well, not entirely different things, but they mean different things today. What are your thoughts? 603-283-6160. Maybe you can look it up on the internet, which 850 times people couldn't do. It is Free Talk Live. Your calls and thoughts are welcome. As always, you're invited to join us. 603-283-6160 if you want to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. Lori. And Nikki. And September 4th at 3.33 p.m., there's an event coming up. You can join the Smiles and Hugs for Peace virtual event, but you don't need an internet or a digital device to participate. You don't need any internet, sorry, to participate, which is good for these people in these countries that 850 times have had their internet disconnected. 
because the virtuality of this event is in the fact that Star Child will not be physically present, but will manifest for you to the extent that your magical thinking allows you to conjure his presence. If you don't know who or what he is, that doesn't matter. Don't let that be an impediment to whatever magic you may experience. At approximately 3.33 p.m., you may hear the ringing of a bell or bells or other unusual sounds, especially if you set a phone alarm for 3.33 p.m. (laughs) Pause whatever you're doing, look around you, and start smiling. If you see someone else grinning, give that person a hug. If you see someone else smiling and coming towards you, stop and give them a hug. As you hug, hold this intention in your mind. A world based on love and cooperation, not coercion, is possible. Both smiling and hugs are healthy and good for you, containing no carcinogens, trans fats, or high fructose corn syrup, and hopefully no artificial ingredients. I always love doing that. Anyway, let's go to the phones. We have James calling from Arizona. James, you're on Free Talk Live. Going once. Doctor. Oh, he's there. Hey, doctor. Oh, I'm there. Yeah. I wonder how much time I have because I called to yell at you, like, as invited by. Are, are you even talking that, to me? If you were in your, are you, you on speakerphone? Room, oh, forgive me. Take yourself off a of speakerphone, James. Otherwise, we can't really doctor. hear you. Hey, doctor. That's me. so much better. I hope I have the time back because I called in to answer James's queer. Uh, and he asked for people to call and yell at him yeah, about sure. a subject you were talking about earlier. And I'm profoundly sorry for any medical difficulties. A thing, as James Baker calls it, inside you, a thing, had medical difficulties that, given that you live in the 21st century, you knew that before. Are you referring to abortion? Chance to be born. I'm referring to a fellow human being, James Baker. And I was going to ask the doctor if James Baker were in your. James, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you one more warning. If you dead name me again, James I'm Baker, dropping the call. Doctor, That's it. Have a good night, James. Stupid and pointless. Evidently, James is anti-abortion or whatever terminology they use. Or whatever he was trying to say. It was kind of very unclear. Yeah. The gist of it that I got was something about being pro-life, I think, is the term they use. But I I don't know. Pro-forced birth. It was very unclear. So anyway, back to the story about internet censorship and government shutting down the internet. The 2011 Egyptian shutdown and others since have drawn attention to the role internet service providers play in countries where very few exist. In highly developed markets like the United States, where there are thousands of ISPs, the sheer size of the market provides a degree of protection. I don't think it does that the U.S. government told all of the ISPs, passed a law saying, hey, look, get rid of the internet service right now. I don't think it would matter how many there are. They would, they would do it. Mm-hmm. But in many countries, as in Egypt in 2011, the web can be brought to a shuddering halt with just a few phone calls. Access Now is calling on ISPs in those countries to resist government pressure to block or throttle Internet access and to report the requests they receive. Global companies like Facebook and Google, meanwhile, have a role to play in tracking Internet outages and determining whether they were intentional. Maybe Facebook is being blocked or Google platforms are being shut down in these areas. Can you find out what is happening on the ground? That context is always important. You can see a drop in traffic. But once you have the context like, okay, there's an upcoming election, there's an ongoing conflict, then we're able to see whether this is an intentional attempt by the authorities to keep the rest of the world in the dark or if this is a technical problem. 
Governments also are paying attention. A number of global groups, including the United States, have condemned Internet shutdowns as a, as a violation of basic human rights. I don't think it's a violation of – well, I guess so. Free speech is a basic human right. So I guess I agree with them on that. I just don't like saying that the Internet is a basic human right. Yeah, because it's not a natural thing, right? Right. And it has to be provided to you from another human being, so it can't possibly be yeah. a human right. And, I mean, if someone was setting up their own internet, but even then it's just, I don't know, we're getting very yeah. 21st century here. <laughs> I'm going to say that free speech is a basic human right, and the government inhibiting your ability to use the internet and express your Free speech is a violation of human rights, but you have no right to access the internet unless you pay someone for that service. But Antonio insists more pressure is needed, saying, quote, the more voices we have speaking the same language and pushing back against this particular problem, the more the issue becomes important for the various stakeholders that are able to influence or bring that problem to an end. I can't imagine very many of these companies in Egypt that, you know, shut down the internet in 2011 were like publicly traded and had to worry about stock values and stuff like that. Maybe they were. I don't know a whole lot about the Egyptian economy, though. At any rate, the ability of governments to shut down the internet is a problem. And I don't know how... Look, the military in Egypt took over the government in 2011 in a military coup. You really expect an, an internet service provider to tell those same people, no, we're not going to shut down the internet for you, even though you're the military and you just took over everything. Right. No, yeah, the, exactly. The military would just take over the ISP. Right. And shut it down that way. So I can't, I can't say I even blame the ISPs for cooperating because the internet was going to get shut off either way. But if they did it this way, they, they didn't get killed. Yeah, and they didn't get killed, which is... <laughs> I mean, the the real problem here is how do you hold governments accountable for their actions? You you can't expect companies that have licenses to lose, especially in military dictatorships that just, you know, had their military take over their entire government to be the ones willing to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that because they're the military. If they want to do a thing, they have the guns and the means to do it, whether you like it or not, such as the U.S. government recording 33,000 phone calls of a New York Times writer who was charged as being a paid Iranian agent. A journalist, basically. U.S. government, 33,000 of his phone calls being recorded. The U.S. government was surreptitiously listening in on the calls of a frequent New York Times opinion contributor who now faces federal charges for allegedly being an unregistered foreign agent of Iran. The Times contributor, whose name I'm not going to attempt, and sorry about that, pled not guilty in February after being arrested at his Boston area home. At an August the 25th status hearing, a U.S. attorney handling the case said he was preparing to turn over 33,000 audio recordings of the defendant. An August 27th letter said that in addition to the audio recordings, the government is turning over IRS, health insurance, and banking records. So quite a lot of discovery in that particular case. 33,000 phone call recordings, though. That's insane. The defendant said in an email that the recordings are the sum of all of my calls over 13 years, maybe even longer. I have better things to do than listen to my own calls with my family and friends. This is a giant waste of time. I feel for you, dude. 603-283-6160 if you want to join us. Sad news coming up. Dogs and cats left behind in Afghanistan. That's coming up. It's Free Talk Live. 
Brute force, intransigent defiance, adamantine will. These are the hallmarks of the AI tank. These gigantic machines have the firepower of an army, but they also have their own sense of honor and duty. When the world breakers arrive, battle will be joined, planets will shake, and war and peace will never be the same again. World breakers, stories from David Weber, Larry Korea, and more. Available August 3rd from BaneBooks.com. It is Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to weigh in with your opinions. 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria, Lori, and Nikki. And I'm really genuinely surprised. Every other time that we've talked about abortion on this show, it's a, it, it's a hot topic and it immediately gets the phone lines going. And we spouted our pro choice stuff for the first 30 minutes of the show and like nothing. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm like genuinely shocked. 603 283 6160 if you want to weigh in. Now, I'm an animal lover, and I think everyone probably at this point knows that about me. So it makes me really sad. I'm not particularly moved about the humans left behind in Afghanistan because anyone could have seen the writing on the wall, and any human could have seen the writing on the wall and gotten out of Afghanistan. But the dogs and the cats, they're not that fortunate. They, they, they don't know that there's a regime change coming. So a Kabul-based animal rescue tried to get dozens of dogs and cats out of the Taliban-controlled locale before American troops left, but they weren't allowed on military aircraft, said the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals International in a recent news release. Now, is the Taliban a threat to cats and dogs? I don't think so. I didn't think they were I have never heard anything about that, but I generally think that most human beings are a threat to cats and dogs, so... <laughs> or I You're guess I guess not cats and dogs specifically, but maybe just animals in general. See, the sad thing to me isn't being concerned that, oh, no, now the Taliban is in charge of where these dogs and cats live. It's that this means that, you know, humans left behind the dogs and cats to whom they were bonded. To me, that's that's disgraceful to abandon a pet that, you know, you're generally their entire world. Yeah, the cobble It is messed up. The Kabul Small Animal Rescue, a veterinary clinic and rescue in the Afghanistan capital, had at least 130 dogs under their care and an additional number of cats, but weren't able to get them out of the country when numerous private charter aircrafts couldn't gain access to the airport. So some of these were rescues. Why why are we concerned about the rescues not being able to leave Afghanistan? I understand the ones who were in the vet or whatever. But they're also a rescue clinic. I'm not overly concerned about how the Taliban is going to handle the Kabul small animal rescue because I've never heard of any of all of the things they've said about the Taliban in the recent weeks because they have been really crazy. I saw one article. I don't remember from who about how the Taliban was raping corpses. Oh, my gosh. I didn't hear that one. I didn't hear that either. And I shared it on Facebook. I said, there is absolutely no chance that the hardcore extremist religious Taliban is raping corpses. This is a fear piece, a horror piece that is totally fabricated. And that's not even an uncommon thing to find. That one was just 
a bit too extravagant for anyone to believe it. So I just did a quick Google search to see um, if the Taliban has ever been accused of abusing animals. Thank you. And everything that came up was about the U.S. government. And I typed in <laughs> Taliban and everything that came up was about like the U.S. government blowing up sheeps and stuff. And nothing came up about the Taliban. So that's all I have to say <laughs> about that. It sounds like the animals are better off then. They were not given access to the flight we had secured to transport them out of the country. They are within the airport in an area used for housing employees. At the far end of the flight line, we haven't been able to confirm the number of dogs released during her departure from the airport on August the 30th. Charlotte, who was a rescuer, requested the U.S. military open the bags of dog food she was able to bring into the airport and scatter their contents in the area where the dogs had been released. I'm very confused because, I mean, I didn't skip ahead in the article. They just skipped ahead themselves. So presumably they released these animals and this one was like, hey, give them this dog food as well. I guess. So it's unclear. They were in a shelter and then they tried to, f- to fly them out of the country and couldn't. So they just let them free in the airport. Yes, instead of, yes, yes, good point. Instead of just leaving them in the shelter. All military working dogs with the U.S. Armed Forces did leave with their handlers ahead of the August 31st deadline, which is good because I thought that the U.S. military had also left behind dogs in Afghanistan. But the stray animals with KSAR couldn't leave because of issues with customs. It's always customs in the way. Human dog... human dog or cat i can't imagine the insanity of attempting to apply customs laws to dogs and cats it's very hard to get animals from other countries into the u.s we um one time me and my sister volunteered in guatemala at a animal rescue center and we found this dog that we fell in love with and we were like we got to take him home And we were inquiring about doing that, and it was really, really complicated. And they told us, even if you get all of his vaccinations and everything that he needs, you can still be denied. Like, we could get him on the plane but and show up in the U.S. and still be denied by U.S. Customs. And at that point, the dog can't go back. You can't buy a plane ticket back to Guatemala. So you basically have to have it euthanized because the U.S. won't let them in. Jesus. So we were like... We're not even going to risk that. We're just going to, I guess, unfortunately, leave this dog here. So why would they have to euthanize the dog? I mean, they have to take the dog off the plane to euthanize it. I assume they don't, like, shoot it on the plane or anything. So why couldn't they <laughs> I just... I don't know. It Australian just government, why- the Australian government recently in one province, an animal shelter to prevent uh, outside animal shelters from coming to pick up their animals did shoot and kill, like, 19 dogs, I think it was. At the shelter? Yes. Well, yeah. These Instead dogs of were... euthanizing them properly, which they certainly had the capability of doing, they, they just shot and killed these dogs. Euthanizing animals for no reason is just something that makes me so angry because it's like you could, even if it's domesticated dogs and cats, it would be better to let them run free yes. than to murder them. And then they're going to talk about, oh, well, we're trying to save people, this, that, and the other thing. We have to put everybody on house arrest to rescue, (laughs) to save all these people. Yet they're murdering hundreds of animals. And this isn't the first time Australia has did this. We had another story months ago where they murdered a bunch of feral cats. So the thing. Yes, I I remember that. The thing I was wondering, though, is they're not going to shoot the dog on the plane. 
So they have to take the dog off the plane and take it somewhere to euthanize it. So why can't they just put the dog in quarantine since they're yeah, off they, the plane? Yeah, they do it somewhere in the airport. I'm assuming oh, really? they have some sort of like medical place in the airport where they would euthanize. I don't really know exactly how it works, but they told us, and I don't know how common this is, but they told us it was a possibility and we were like, no way, we are not risking that. The, yeah, the animal's that life would be better on the streets of Guatemala than it would be dead. So. I had no idea they had like a death room at the airport for... Are animals. you surprised, though? No, I mean, really, no, when not people really. talk about, you know, the, why we need kill shelters and stuff like that, like and just shelters in general that euthanize pets or cats and dogs, they're like, oh, well, we, we're doing it to protect the animals. No, but you're not. You're doing it so that you're not inconvenienced. Exactly. You could drive more slowly to make sure you don't hit the stray dogs that are running around. You could do that. And sure, many of them would starve to death. Not very many of the cats would, I don't think, but some would. Some would get eaten by dogs or whatever. That's nature. It sucks. And I hate to think about it, but it is what happens in nature. But a much better solution would be for these shelters to spay and neuter the cats. Yeah. Or yeah. And dogs. And right. then release them back out into the wild. And, right. you know, even in the United States, it is very, very hard to adopt a dog. I remember my ex-boyfriend was trying to, his dog passed away and he was trying to adopt a dog. So, and he was like... The best pet owner there there is. You know, he was like very, very good with the dog, like loved the dog, like it was his firstborn child. And he had such a hard time adopting a dog. He I I even wrote this man a like almost like like a job thing, like a letter of recommendation. recommendation. Almost like he was applying for a job or like college or something for the dog, like writing about how excellent of a dog owner he was, and he went through interviews. And it was like every single shelter in the state just denied him because he didn't have a fenced in yard. They they asked his salary. It mm-hmm. was like absurd. And then they have kill shelters. So I'm like, you're making it so hard to rescue animals and then are wondering why people are buying purebred animals from breeders and why there's kill shelters. It's just, it's crazy to me why it's that hard to adopt a dog. I, I, I hate myself to an extent for not considering, you know, getting a rescue. Of course, I, I wanted a golden retriever because that really fits nicely with my lifestyle. But I did go to a breeder instead of adopting some. But my cats, on the other hand, they are rescues. So I guess there is that. What are your thoughts? Should acquiring animals to be your companions be easier in the United States? I think it should be. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160 if you want to do that. That's 603-283-6160. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Lori. And Nikki. And I wanted to say thank you to Seahaw, who is tonight's amplifier. Seahaw is a gold level amplifier, which means that Seahaw is giving $10 per month to the AMP program. You can find out more about it at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Basically, it's money, that, it's money that we use to advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live, hence its name. We don't ask $10 per month. All it takes to join is $5 per month. That gets you in. But Seahaw has chosen to give more, and we appreciate that. So thank you so much for the contributions, and we hope you continue doing so. Check it out, amp.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones. We've got, uh, excuse me, we have Kirby calling from Indianapolis. Kirby, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, good morning, guys. 
first of all, I forgot to tell you, I heard Rick, my friend Rich Paul was out and about. He is. is. So we'll, we'll, if one of y'all can talk to him, give that brother a hug for me. Oh, I absolutely will, Kirby. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what I wanted to mention tonight was we, I, I live in Indianapolis. We've had 178 criminal homicides this year. Uh, the previous record was 160. And this ain't going to slow down. And if you look at the news, it's like this in every major urban area in the country. Uh, what do you think is happening? Per- what do you think is causing it? I, I mean, I could attribute part of it to COVID and people being locked away, but uh, I, I, or maybe some of it could be the fact that COVID has got people broke. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I know part of it here is the the gang members that have migrated from Chicago and Gary, but that's not even going to account for the murder rate we're looking at now. I mean, in the neighborhood I live in, we had a, 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 a issue with strong arm robberies all winter. There was a there was a mutt and jet team of male and female. Is doing strong arm robberies up and down all, all through the neighborhood, all went along. What is Never a strong caught. arm robbery? I don't think I've uh, ever heard the term. They run up to you and like, "Give me your money, or I'll beat you up." Okay. Strong arm robbery. Um, so a mugging, and, essentially. Yeah, but basically. Okay. Um, but that that's that that was all winter, and here this, and, and I mean, we hit 140 homicides before I came up for Fort Fest. Um. It, this is ridiculous. I've never seen it like this. And, and you know, my doctor today had the nerve to ask me, why do you carry a gun? I'm like, dude, you are two miles from Murderville. Yeah. Well, you know, I have been seeing this in the news over the last several months about an increase in violent crime and stuff like that. But we live in New Hampshire where violent yeah. crime is almost non-existent. So I don't see any of it. My first thought was just, oh, well, yeah, more fear mongering from the media. But you actually live no. in one of these cities and are reporting that it's actually happening, and that's tragic. Yeah, this is this is real. I went to bed at 9 o'clock last night. We had 176 murders. I woke up at 4 this morning. We had 178. So two additional people murdered and in a single night in a— Yep. In, in less than eight hours. Well, in eight hours. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. And I mean, on your previous peak year, you said it was 160, so that's less than one murder every other day. Yeah. I mean, we had a guy shoot up a funeral a month ago. Oh, my goodness. Made, and he made bond last Monday. They <laughs> dropped his bond from 100000 to 25000 put him on an ankle bracelet, no home detention. He's out here running the streets of Naptown right now. I am I for one am thankful for the criminal justice system for allowing someone who shot up a funeral to be released just within a month while they kept my friend Rich Paul for almost six months. Yep. And what did Rich do? Nothing. Yeah. Not he certainly didn't shoot up a funeral. Yeah. He didn't do a thing. And the guy who shot up a funeral killed a four year old. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Hit one, not killed him, but but, but still, hit, regardless, hit he hit I a mean, four-year-old uh, at a funeral yeah, and is yeah. out. Yeah, that's insane. He's he's out yeah. with lesser bail conditions than the members of the Crypto Six, mind you. Yep, who are all accused of non-violent crimes. Yet this person 
was murdering people and is just running around free. Yep, and people wouldn't why I carry a gun everywhere I go. I don't blame you. Yeah. I miss the ability to open carry. What, that's one of the things I miss most. Obviously, what I miss most is the ability to use cryptocurrency, but the second thing is the ability to open carry, to always be secure in my person. Yeah, just, just the freedom you feel with the safety that comes with having a firearm on your person is very important to a lot of people. Yep, we can do both here. They even have crypto, uh, Bitcoin machines in the neighborhood now. In Indianapolis? Yep, there's one two blocks from me. Wow, that's awesome. Well, in the long term, that will help the poverty situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it will, because I still say poor people do crime because that's how they get money. If you make sure they have money, they won't do crime. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Kirby, thank you so much for the call tonight. I hope nothing happens to you out there in Indianapolis, but two murders in an eight-hour period when— that's crazy. Your previous year's maximum had you averaging less than one every two days. That's pretty horrifying. I'm I'm glad that the mainstream media wasn't blowing things out of proportion when they talked about an increase in violent crime, at the very least. Yeah, I found something um, on Yahoo News saying that for the first time in history, Indianapolis appears to have surpassed Chicago as the most violent city in the Midwest. Wow. Yep. So it's not just... Violent well, crime in general in Indianapolis. Yeah, and um, well, Kirby was just saying that I guess the gangs are migrating from Chicago to Indianapolis. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Why? But why are they going to Indianapolis? Well, because Chicago probably isn't a great place to live nowadays. Uh, maybe well, yeah. Indianapolis is better. I, I don't really know an excessive amount about Indianapolis, but. Well, we also have Jeanette on the line calling from San Diego. Jeanette, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Yes, I'm calling. Well, first, yay that nobody is out. Yay, Crypto6. Thank you. But um, the reason for my call is um, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors held a meeting um, yesterday uh, to pass a notion to declare that COVID-19 misinformation is a public health crisis um the the head of the of the board of supervisors nathan fletcher added this agenda item at the last minute uh but people were able to rally and and show up and and speak on the topic and uh the way it works is that everyone gets like two minutes to talk about any given agenda item okay and they were the, re- the meeting ran from 8 a.m. until almost past midnight because about oh. 300. Yes, <laughs> because about 300 people um, showed up to, to speak against passing this uh, this agenda item. But they did anyway, but, didn't they? But they did. Yes, correct. Well, <laughs> so, I'm glad everybody got their voices heard. It seems like if they actually ran it for that long, they didn't just cut it short and say, "Well, sorry guys, you didn't make it." Yes, they did. I mean, some people um, left because, I mean, imagine. Yeah, understandable. (laughs) That long. But, I mean, there was enough speakers that the speakers ran from, because they had other agenda items, and, of course, this was the last agenda item, right, so that people would give up and leave. Uh, But the speakers on this agenda item ran from about 4 p.m. to midnight, and then they ended the meeting shortly after midnight, and then this morning during during a closed session, they... They voted to pass the notion um, three to two. Uh, but well, at just, least there were two people who 
possibly were swayed to change their minds? Yes, we're very lucky that the two of the supervisors, one in particular, uh, a man named Jim, Jim Desmond, has been a proponent of how pointless these lockdowns are and masks and uh, the importance of allowing people to make a personal choice on whether they should get this vaccine or not. And I'm so thankful, especially to, to Nikki, who's a, um, in the medical field, for you know speaking the truth about what's really going on with these with these vaccines. And I'm just thankful that I have Free Talk Live as a source to get the real information and not just what the mass media is trying to uh, push. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for the call tonight, Jeanette. I'm, I'm surprised to hear there's anyone in San Diego who isn't, who isn't totally on board with this. I'm curious why you're still in San Diego. Of course, we got to go out to break, so I don't have time to ask you why you're not moving to New Hampshire. But definitely, um, I can't even say things are that much better in New Hampshire because there were still mask mandates here and there was still a lockdown here. But they could not mandate forced vaccination for the kids at the Keene State. So that's, true. that's a there, success. There was definitely a success. What are your thoughts? Is public is COVID-19 misinformation a public health crisis? 603-283-6160. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com You can join us, 603-283-6160. That's the number if you want to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. Lori. And Nikki. And it's kind of sad that Conan isn't on tonight because he's a hardcore... I don't want to say he's a believer, but he's definitely open to the possibility that all of this is just a simulation. That all reality is just a simulation. Obviously, there's no evidence against that, and there's no evidence for it, but that may be changing, according to a new physics experiment that you found, Nikki, that suggests there is not an objective reality. So we may get off into the weeds here for a bit, so be prepared. It's going to be an interesting discussion. Buckle up. (laughs) So this is an interesting article from Interesting Engineering. Someone once said, the world is all that is the case. But is it? Researchers performing a a long-awaited experiment created different realities that are incomprehensible, proving that objective facts are made made to exhibit properties that cannot cohere, according to a recent study shared on a preprint server. Did they happen to put that in English? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of like a, a long run on sentence. So I'm not so, sure I followed oh, that. Yeah, so it said they were unobservable universes or realities. Is that what it said? So it, it as the article goes on, it kind of explains the confusingness. So the next sentence is sound confusing. <laughs> You're not alone in thinking so. 
as this all involves some pretty complicated physics. But in short, the takeaway is that reality is at, always at odds with itself, which is kind of so it's kind of like a spin on um, oh, it's, it's, uh, the theory is blanking my mind. It's like a really, really common one. Not Schrodinger's cat. Not string. It's like kind of like string theory. Okay, well, it doesn't matter anyways, but I, I know I'll think of it in a second. But um, Nobel Prize winner Eugene Weiner described a thought experiment in 1961 that highlighted an uncommon paradox of quantum mechanics. That's what I was thinking of, quantum physics. Specifically, it reveals the strangeness of the universe when two observers, like Weiner and his friend, observe two distinct realities. Since the thought experiment... Physicians have used it to physicists. Physicists. I was like, that is not the right word. (laughs) Physicists have used it to explore the very nature of measurement, in addition to the bizarre idea that of whether objects actually exist or not. This is a pretty crucial feature of science. I mean. and I love this concept. I, I got a lot of flack about this for saying proved eggs exist or whatever when I yeah. argued with uh, Christopher Cantwell. But it's true. The reason we see an egg is because we can't peer down with our eyes to see the individual atoms and see that the egg itself, the whole, is really just an illusion. What we're looking at is vibrating energy. We can get to yeah. that level with microphones, but then we, I mean, not microphones, microscopes. But then there may be something further beyond that that we can't detect with microscopes like string theory and stuff like that. We, we don't know at this point, and we may never know. But ultimately, we do know it is scientifically sound that these things that we see, everything we interact with, is just made up of vibrating energy. Yeah, and all of the particles aren't even touching. So, yeah. so some it's just say if you go into a different realm that you could just be here with us but in a different dimension and you could just stick your hands through things almost as if, if someone was thinking of a ghost. So it is a fascinating theory. And there's also theories of multi-dimensionality, like we're living in a multiverse and that people can get slipped into different timelines and that. So sure. it's all very crazy and complicated. Like but the Mandela effect. Yes. We yes don't even especially need, the Mandela effect. We don't even need like uh, multiple universes, uh, multiverse theories and stuff like that, though, because we still can't determine whether or not this universe that we're in, the one that we're experiencing, what whatever you're listening to right now is the universe that we're in is finite or infinite. But think yeah. about the implications of it being infinite. That means there's an infinite number of yous running around doing slightly different things. And that's insane. Yeah. And, and like what sort of effect that has. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be infinite for that to be true. It just has to be sufficiently large. Uh, the physicist Brian Greene did the math on this and determined how big the universe had to be for it to be mathematically guaranteed that there would be another copy of you somewhere out there in the universe. And it's not that unlikely. No, it's not. And because I think what you were mentioning about, you know, putting your hand through things like that, it's because of the space and because of the uncertainty with particles. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not there, at least on the subatomic realm. And it is not impossible that suddenly the quantum state of all of the particles that comprise me would just be not there. And I would just fall through the floor and so, cease to exist. So, and that's the theory of like quantum physics where it's like particles are always moving and it's like a particle from this camera that is recording me right now could be in the other room yeah. at any given second. They're always in different Or just places. not existing for a fraction yeah. of a second. And it's, it's crazy to think about that. Right. There are theories about like thin places. 
yeah. in the world where, you know, you can just slip right into that other other frequency of existence. And there, there are hundreds of thousands of people throughout history who just gone. Rogers Campground, I swear to God, where we have Pork Fest and Fork Fest, and we also had Light and Liberty there recently, I swear to God, that is one of those places. Like, time, it it's just a strange place. Like, it feels like you're in a different time period there. It like, feels like the 1970s, and when you're there, it's like time ceases to exist sometimes. And, and I promise I wasn't on drugs either. Like, I was completely sober every time I've been there. But it's I and suspect strange the last time things anything happened. was built there was the seventies. Yeah, though. and that's probably <laughs> that why it feels that way. But it's a strange place, and I've had people had strange experiences where they've kind of just like lost multiple hours of time. Like they looked at their phone, went into another room. You know, it's like three o'clock. Went into the room, and the next thing they know, it's six o'clock, and they're like, "I have no clue where those three hours went." Mm-hmm. So wow. I, I have a very strong theory that Rogers Campground is one of those very interesting places in the world. I, I know a lot of people of are going to tell me I'm crazy, but I think there's lots of them. Time yeah. slips are a real thing that a lot of people experience. Like you yeah. just. Where well, to go? People will always call us crazy. I mean, we just acknowledge the possibility that one of us could just cease to exist for a fraction of a second yeah. or fall to the floor. But I would remind everyone, th- these are all scientifically proven yeah. possibilities. They're just extremely unlikely to occur at once. But they're not impossible. Mm-hmm. You the, could the, turn into a black hole. That's yeah. a scientific possibility. Yeah, It is. The Probably universe not that happen. we're living in is weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're literally... The Milky Way galaxy that we're in, in the center of it is a massive black hole that is literally collapsing in on itself. Yes. I mean, that's pretty wacky just to begin with. <laughs> and, you know, a century ago, we didn't even know, I guess about a century ago was around the time that special relativity came out. But uh, let's go with a century ago anyway. There, there, no one even thought about black holes as something that could exist. And it was yeah. decades after that. I think it was in the 50s during an eclipse. No, the existence of black holes wasn't proven until... The early 2000s, if I recall correctly, because how do you prove something that you yeah. can't see? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people don't even believe that the moon exists. I don't want to say a lot of people, but That's there are true. some people out there who are like the moon doesn't exist. And I'm like, so what's that that you're looking at right now? Right. Well, there's people but, out there who believe the Earth is flat. Yeah. So. Well, but it also right. if you go like this article is saying, if you go into the theory that nothing is fact and this is we're just living in the matrix and all of this is like a simulation, maybe the moon isn't real. Maybe, Maybe none of our are related for them. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Who knows? So the article goes on to say, but if there aren't any facts, how can science presume to describe a real world in the first place for decades? Well, it doesn't. That's what I love about quantum mechanics. It's like, okay, we're just, we're trying to study and measure reality here, but there's, there's no reason or evidence to believe that the, the discoveries that we made, the mathematics that we have is in any way indicative of the actual universe. Right. Because they, they just don't know. We just accept yeah. it. We all use it. And so it becomes our fact. Yeah, but we have yeah, exactly. no way of knowing if that's right. how things actually work or not. Right, right. So it's yeah. not, not There's facts. so many things <laughs> that we don't know. Oh, and yeah. so like science is always changing. And it's very possible that physics as we know it is just completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because science is never certain. It's there's always the possibility that it's wrong. Well, And that's the point, right? You're always, scientists are always trying to keep proving different theories and disproving them to find out what is actually fact but they can they can never do that the highest degree of certainty in science is the theory right there is no fact category there's just the theory more coming up about this what do you think is objective reality real 603-283-6160
Talk Live. And you know, we were the first major radio show to tell the world about Bitcoin. Where were you when the crypto revolution first began? Did you end up buying any back then? Well, it's 10 years later and a new generation of crypto is hoping to change the world again. If you listened last year, you heard us talking about Intercoin, a new cryptocurrency to help unite local communities and businesses make their economy stronger, all without having to rely on the state. Well, Intercoin is launching worldwide. Anywhere you live, this is your chance to buy it using your favorite Ethereum wallet just by going to exchanges like Uniswap. Under Intercoin, you can even launch your own cryptocurrency for your own members and customers under your own brand. If you want to learn more, just go to intercoin.org. That's I-N-T-E-R coin.org. And follow the steps there to get some Intercoin for yourself. Be part of the next generation. And this time, you heard it right here, intercoin.org. That's intercoin, I-N-T-E-R coin.org. So we're talking about objective reality here and whether or not such a thing actually exists. And I mean, realistically, we, we can never really know one way or the other because we're all subjective beings who experience things subjectively. And our agreement that a phenomenon is being perceived does not in any way suggest that the phenomenon is actually occurring. It could just be mass delusional psychosis. And there's no outside measurement by which we can make that sort of assessment. And I hate that I'm making this comparison right now, but I'm going to have to because it's just like so relevant. It's kind of like people's perception of COVID where some people are reporting, oh, nope, nothing's happening. Like like some people literally think that COVID isn't real. And then some people are like, nope, the hospitals are overflowing with COVID patients and everybody's dying. And so it's like... Two people are living very concretely in their realities. And it's almost yeah. like what you think be- literally becomes your reality. And it's like we're, we're constantly sending thoughts out in whatever we think boomerangs back at us and we receive that. You know how many people were so freaked out about COVID and they were like sanitizing their hands and they weren't leaving their house and bleaching they were being their so... groceries. Yep, bleaching their groceries. They were being so <clears throat> cautious and those were the first people to get COVID. Mm-hmm. All the people that were taking all the precautions. Sure. And it seemed like everybody who it. was just like, yeah, they literally manifested illness within themselves. And I think everything's almost like that. You know, what we think we become and what we think is our reality. One of the most interesting scientific discoveries, I think, about that was the Higgs boson, what they called the God particle. They called it that mockingly, but of course, Christians didn't get the irony when they... Physicists proved the existence of the God particle, but it was just... It was predicted based entirely on mathematics and this very strange theory that required the Higgs field to exist and to interact with particles at a very specific point in time in order for particles to gain mass. It was just... Either the people, the Higgs, I don't remember his first name, either he was a genius of extraordinary levels that was able to make all of these connections and come out with this theory that just turned out to be true. And then decades later, physicists discovered the Higgs boson particle. And it's just so overwhelmingly unlikely. I hear that and I think, man, their expectation of finding that really feels like that's why they found it. Well, even a lot of scientific experiments, you can't observe them because even just watching them, even just observing the experiment will throw it off. 
Right. And that's no coincidence. And, and that's, that's a well-known thing. Yeah, it's especially true in um, in the subatomic world, where if you want to measure an electron, the only thing you can really do is shoot another electron at it. Yeah. So then you can find out you know, where it was at a, at a specific point, but you can't figure out how fast it was going because you only interacted with it for an infinitesimally yeah. small amount of time. And there's only so much that our eyes can see. Well, and these also people true. are, they're just people, fallible people, and confirmation bias exists in the scientific community, too. True. So if they want something to be true, they, whether knowingly or not, are going to skew what they're doing towards making that happen. There's also a lot that our brains filter out mm-hmm. that is happening around us that we just don't notice. I mean, just in the course of doing this show, I filtered out countless automobiles driving by yeah. that mm-hmm. I know for a fact drove by, and I saw the headlights. I pro- probably even heard some of them. Yeah. But I, my brain filtered them out entirely. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what is real except perception, as far as yeah. I can tell? Or even optical illusions. I mean, one person sees one thing. Another, I remember at one point there was like the blue dress thing. Some people yeah. saw the dress as blue. Some people saw it as gold. And they are two completely different colors. But what people see was all different. Yes, well, your brain lies to you. Your brain is not capable of processing everything that's going on around you. And so it just processes what it needs to, and then it fills in all the blanks. That's why, say, you're walking down the hallway and you see something out of the corner of your eye. It's because your brain says, oh, I think there's a person over there for a split second. And then it's like, oh, no, there isn't. This happened to so me before the show there. today. As I was leaving, I had left something turned on, and it was it, it was a video game controller. And it vibrated against the table, and I thought it was someone talking outside So, because I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, who the, who the hell is outside talking? And then it happened again. I looked around. Even my puppy was curious about at this point. And I was like, yeah, no, girl. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and then it happened again. And my brain finally went, okay, yes, that's not a person talking outside. That's the controller sitting on the table. Mm-hmm. It will fill in things. That's why we see, you know, pictures and clouds and you yeah. know, stuff it like that. It fills in the spaces. Mm-hmm. I think... Per, periodolis or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember periodol- the t- periodolia. Yeah, that's I it. Think that's, yeah. that's the phenomenon where the brain sees, recognizes patterns that aren't really there, like yeah. me hearing a noise and thinking, you know, that's someone talking outside, even though it isn't. And upon further investigation, I'm like, okay, this is my switch controller, but really, there's no way for me to prove that it was my switch controller that was actually doing. That's what I experienced, but maybe... Yeah. Maybe I was it, imagining things. Right. Yeah. Or maybe somebody was talking outside. You know, uh, also true. Yeah. Right. And then your brain says, well, that happened too. So it must be that. And now we're just going to decide it's that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but if there aren't any facts, how can science presume to describe a real world in the first place? For decades and philosophically much longer, this has served as great as a great bit for entertaining as this has served as a great bit for entertaining Dittner guests but Weiner's thought experiment wasn't really anything more than that until now. In 2020, physicists realized that recent quantum technology advancements made it possible to create the Weiner's friend test in, as a real-world experiment. In essence, we can create different realities and compare them in a lab to see if they can be reconciled or cohere in one system. In researcher Masmilano of Harriet Watt University, along with a handful of researchers, said that they performed this long-awaited experiment for the first time, creating distinct realities, compare and contrasting them, and discovering that they are, in fact, irreconcilable. 
So I'm not not up to date on what exactly they did, but it sounds like they simulated different realities. I, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to know what the experiment actually entailed. I think the, um, the article goes on to tell us. So quantum entangled portions reproduced Weiner's thought experiment. Weiner's initial thought experiment was a simplistic in principle, starting with a single polarized proton that can have either vertical or horizontal polarization upon measuring. And we will continue on with what the thought experiment was when we come back. Yeah, because it sounds fascinating. And, you know, quantum computing has come a long way. I think Google has, they developed a time crystal or something, whatever that means. I didn't even Hmm. look into it. What are your thoughts? Because quantum computing is going to change everything. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. When a lunar observatory detects a radio broadcast originating from Proxima Centauri, the nations of Earth discover their first contact with an alien race may also be their last. With the Proximans facing an extinction-level disaster, Earth must choose between sending a ship on a multi-year journey or allowing nature to take its course. Saving Proxima, a hard science fiction thriller by Travis S. Taylor and Les Johnson. From BaneBooks.com. It's Free Talk Live. You're welcome to join the discussion. Do you believe in objective reality? 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Because whether or not people like to believe it, if you believe in objective reality, it is just a belief. You don't know anything, ultimately. You you just believe things to certain degrees. And that's the nature of the universe because nothing can be proven. All I know is that I know nothing. Yes. I believe a lot, yeah. but I don't actually know anything yeah. because nothing can be known. Exactly. So moving forward with the quantum entangled protons that were reproduced as Weiner's thought experiment. So the initial thought experiment was simplistic in principle, starting with a single polarized proton that can be either vertical or horizontally polarized upon measuring. The law of quantum mechanics holds that protons exist in both states of polarization simultaneously. And this is called superposition. And it's not until someone observes them that it's determined whether it's horizontal or vertical. But who's to say if it's what it really is? Also true. So in his thought experiment, Weiner imagined a friend measuring the state of a proton in a different lab and recording the result while Weiner watched from afar. He has no clue what his friend's measurement is, and thus forced to assume that the proton and its measurement are a state of superposition of every possible outcome for the experiment. Weiner can say, however, the fact of the superposition existence is real, and strangely, the state of affairs suggests that the measurement can't have taken place. Obviously, this stands as a direct contradiction to Weiner's friend's point of view, who just measured and recorded the proton's polarization. He can even call Weiner and tell him the measurement was taken without revealing the results. This means that the two realities are at odds with one another, and it calls into question the, uh, the objective status of the facts established by the two observers. So for the first observer, I, Weimer, I think you said was his name? Yeah. 
he the the measurement hasn't happened because yes. he can't see that it happened. But his friend can call him and tell him about it. So for Weimer, the particle, the its orientation still hasn't been developed, uh, uh, discerned. It could be yes. horizontal or vertical. But for his friend, it has been determined, and it's X. Yes, it's vertical or it's horizontal, and those two realities exist in conflict with each other because for one person the experiment hasn't happened the it's still a superposition of possibilities for the other person it has happened exactly and the new research reproduced weiner's thought experiment by using entangled techniques for many particles at the same time this is a breakthrough experiment from um porietti and his colleagues in the state-of-the-art six proton experiment we realized that this extended Weiner's friend scenario. They added in the report, and it raised some baffling questions that have forced physicists to confront the nature of reality. There might be a loophole to some assumptions that made this unknowable reality conclusional, conclusional necessary. But if everything holds up to the future scrutiny, it turns out reality does not exist. Fascinating so, way to put it. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they got that conclusion. There might be a loophole to some assumptions that made this a knowledgeable reality conclusional necessarily. But if everything holds up to future scrutiny, it turns out that reality does not exist. I guess that is true. Yeah, I mean, if it holds, if the experiment holds up to peer review and is repeatable and all of that stuff. But sure, because there's no way to determine whether Weimer or his friend is actually correct yeah. about what is going on with the particle. Uh, I sure you could make the argument that Weimer has more direct knowledge of the particle or more experience interacting with the particle, but that doesn't exist for Weimer. Weimer's just hearing about it. So it's it's very fascinating. I'm interested to hear where this goes. Is, is that the end of the article? So the next time your friends think something is or isn't the case, consider interject, interjecting with the argument from quantum physics. They're both wrong. And so are you, because even the simple fact of disagreement itself is just another illusion. I love that. Yeah, I that do just too. made my day, honestly, because there's so much going on in the world where people are at odds and they're fighting and everybody thinks they're right. And I just love the statement. You're all wrong. Everybody's wrong. Everything's wrong and nothing exists. Chill out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the people that I follow on just, well, on Facebook, but in general, uh, is Erin, who heads the Breaking Bread Village. Uh, she had me on when I ran for, not most people I haven't heard from, okay, it's a yeah. very small show. But she had me on when I was running for sheriff. And one of the things that she likes to do is instead of ch- trying to change people's minds, she just listens to them Yeah, when they disagree. She's like, thank you for your viewpoint rather than trying to tell them why their viewpoint is wrong. Yeah. And that's also a good approach. And it's it's really a wonderful skill to listen because it seems like most people speak or they are communicating just to respond and everybody thinks they're right. And it's like constantly people are just trying to put their viewpoint out and they're trying to convince you and change your mind. And it's a really strong skill to just sit there and listen and absorb information rather than constantly listening to respond. Just listen to listen. Just listen to understand. I ran into that at my very first Fork Fest. I think it was Somalia Fest that year. I had never spent any time hanging out with a bunch of libertarians, so I didn't know what to expect. And I'm not kidding. That was one of the things I learned within the first few days is that nobody's listening to anyone else. They're just waiting for you to stop so they have the opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stop, they'll just interrupt you. 
So, yeah, listening, valuable skill, especially in a world where we, we can't actually prove that anyone is right or wrong or that anything actually exists. And I challenge you, as crazy as it is, you can't prove that the people you're listening to right now aren't computer programs, aren't simulations, yeah. that you're the only real player character in this scenario. Yeah, maybe it, everybody's NPCs, yeah. you know, non-playing characters. We're just in the matrix. It can't be proven one way or the other. It's, and it's it's scary, but I, I find it liberating, you know, that it's a lot of Christians have that same argument in regard to death. And, you know, oh, so you don't believe in an afterlife? You don't believe in heaven or hell? Doesn't that scare you? No, that's liberating. It means I'm yeah. free to be whatever I whatever I want to be and to do whatever I want to do, and I don't have this eternity hanging over me. Yeah, I, 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 to it me is. It's it is very liberating. I agree with that, but not to a lot of them. And I think that one specifically forces you to become a good person on your own. I think so as well, because I mean, <laughs> there's no external reward for it. I mean. I can't imagine being the kind of person who only does good things because they think they're going to be rewarded for it in the afterlife. Or punished for not doing yeah, the right exactly. things. Yeah. I do the right things because it's the right things to do. Absolutely. One of the not right things to do, though, is stocking up on toilet paper. <laughs> again? Americans are what? stocking up on toilet paper again. Get up a day, are, y'all. Are the, What's like, wrong with you? Are the shares for Taco Bell also going up? Is that the explanation? <laughs> like, what is the deal with toilet paper? So I remember at one point, uh, somebody was like, in the beginning when there was the first toilet paper shortage, they're like, people know this is a respiratory virus, right? Like, this isn't like a, a gastrointestinal thing. Like, maybe there's dysentery going around. We don't know yet. I never understood the toilet paper shortage of last year, and I will never understand it. To me, okay, there's a pandemic. Run out and buy the toilet paper is not a rational response. No. But that's... What Americans are doing, and they're back to buying up toilet paper again. Procter and Gamble, the biggest U.S. manufacturer of toilet paper and paper towels, said that it is ramping up production as demand increases. I'm not sure demand ever actually went down. When when I when I go to CVS, the wipes that I order from Amazon on auto delivery, it's hit or miss whether or not they're actually going to show up or whether or not I'm just really? not going to be charged for them. Huh? Yeah, and frequently CVS has none here on their shelves. I'm not sure the shortage ever went away. Or that demand ever actually, or that supply ever actually increased to meet the demand. The maker of Charmin toilet paper and bounty paper towels is speeding up production lines, running factories 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and investing to increase shipping volumes, said a spokeswoman. Uh, America's, what are you doing? Stop buying toilet paper, start buying cryptocurrency. That's a much better solution to what is happening today. It's true, you can't use cryptocurrency for the same purposes. But in the long run, it's probably more valuable. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. With you tonight, it's Aria, Nikki, and Lori. And during one of the breaks earlier, I was complaining about how everything I've ordered in the last several weeks is just, I'm constantly getting emailed notifications about delays. Everything is getting delayed. And this has been going on since the pandemic started. Amazon used to be worth it. Amazon Prime used to be worth it. And I imagine it still is since I don't have to pay for shipping. Yeah. But the two-day shipping was one of the biggest selling points of Amazon Prime 
And that went away about 18 months ago, and it doesn't look like it's going to turn come back. Yeah, it's very give or take. Like, I ordered something, and it came the next day. But it was only, I ordered maybe eight things, and then one of them came the next day, and then half of them are coming in two weeks. I yep. just... I canceled so. Prime, and then we just use Purse, so then someone else uses their Prime, and we get to use crypto. <laughs> I can't use Purse there at the moment. Go. But Amazon might have an answer to their delivery driver shortage to recruit pot smokers. Amazon has a solution. The company is advising its delivery partners, the mom and pops that operate the ubiquitous blue Amazon vans, I didn't know that Amazon... I've never seen an actual Amazon delivery van. I don't know if they use them in New Hampshire. I know in Mass we had them, but I think in New Hampshire they use like UPS. They like subcontract the other like UPS, whatever. They have Amazon vans and also like just guys in their own vans, like contractors. Yeah. Okay. It's telling them to prominently advertise that they don't screen applicants for marijuana use. According to correspondence reviewed by Bloomberg and interviews with four business owners... Doing so can boost the number of job applicants by as much as 400%, Amazon says in one message, without explaining how it came up with the statistic. Conversely, the company says screening for marijuana cuts the prospective work pool by up to 30%. Up to 30% seems high. I can't imagine there are that many people actually smoking pot. I thought that seemed low. Really? Yeah. I think a lot of people smoke pot nowadays. Yeah. My my grandmother used to smoke pot before she died. One delivery partner who stopped screening applicants at Amazon's request says marijuana was the prevailing reason most people failed drug tests. Now that she's only testing for drugs like opiates and amphetamines, more drivers pass. And more drivers means more deliveries being made, which means your stuff will get to you quicker, which I think is a good thing because I don't have a whole lot. If I order something, it's usually because, hey, I want this thing and I kind of want it now. Yeah. I don't pre-plan my future desires to be like, oh, it's going to arrive and then I will want it. No. And that's just the way it works. Other delivery companies are continuing to screen applicants concerned about the insurance and liability implications in the many states where weed use remains illegal. I don't think there are many states where that, the majority of states have some form of legalized marijuana, I think. Even if it's just medical. They also worry that ending drug testing might prompt some drivers to toke up before going out on a route. I've got to tell you, man, I've worked in delivery before and every single one of the drivers was constantly high. Yeah, I think it's like a prerequisite, right? I think so. (laughs) I don't know about people who deliver for Amazon, but in my experience, delivery drivers are universally high because otherwise the job is pretty boring. But then you get to drive around B-Stone and listen to music. And I think that's why that's the part of the appeal of being a delivery driver, especially like pizza and stuff like that. Maybe not so much like UPS or Amazon, but they can kind of just like drive around and like smoke pot. And, you know, it's pretty minimal interaction with the public. So most jobs, it's silly to test for marijuana usage anyway, because it stays in your system for so long. You're going to tell me that my weekend habits interfere with your job. Yeah, but Fair. nobody cares about alcohol and that's way more of a problem. Right. Like nobody talks about like pot addicts like stealing from their <laughs> mom and like, you know, right. Right. Yeah. So employers are dangling a variety of recruiting incentives amid the post-pandemic labor crunch since hiring bonuses alone no longer stand out. Target announced it would pay college tuition for its employees. Applebee's offered free appetizers to applicants. 
in its push to recruit 10,000 workers. I mean, that's not bad. Hey, we'll give you free advertisers if you just appetizers if you just I come mean, in here and apply. I guess so, but like if I'm looking for a job th- and I like I'm going to need like a sign-on bonus or something, <laughs> like a free appetizer isn't going to do it for me. Well, presumably they do they are offering some sort of bonus as well. But um, I know there was, I think, a McDonald's in Georgia that was offering yeah, $50, 50 bucks, just yeah. for people to come well, in and interview. And McDonald's, That's like crazy. the McDonald's in my hometown is paying people like $20 an hour right now. Yeah, they don't. no one wants to work. And I still don't understand where the hell everyone went. It wasn't like this two years ago. No, I have no clue. But now you walk down Main Street here in Keene and there's nothing but help wanted signs. I don't know what happened. A lot of people say it's because people moved home. During the pandemic, and so they're just living with their parents. They don't really have a need but for a job. But it's everywhere, though. It is everywhere. So it's not even just like, oh, we're in Keene and it's a college town. It's like... It's across the United yeah, it's States. it's across the United States. Amazon, which is lobbying the federal government to legalize marijuana. I don't know how much I believe that statement. <laughs> I read it here in this article, but I don't know if I believe it. In June, announced that it would no longer screen applicants for the drug. It wasn't long before the company began urging its delivery partners to do the same. In a statement, an Amazon spokeswoman said that marijuana testing has disproportionately affected communities of color, stalling job growth. She also said the company has zero tolerance for employees working while impaired. If a delivery associate is impaired at work and tests positive post-accident, or due to reasonable suspicion, that person would no longer be permitted to perform services for Amazon. But that's the issue with marijuana testing in the first place. Just because a driver tests positive doesn't mean they were high when an accident happened. Yeah, exactly. It could have been at any point in the last 30 to 45 days, depending on their metabolism. And at this point, smoking cigarettes, I mean, smoking pot is almost like smoking cigarettes. Like the people I know with hefty pot habits, it like barely even affects them. True. Like they, it's not like they're like stoned. They're just like, that's their baseline. You know, you would think if it was really important to them, they could figure out some way to test whether or not you are actively. I think they did develop a, a, a mouth swab that does that, or at least it's more limited in how far hmm. back it goes. I don't recall, but I remember having uh, to get a job where they did a hair test going back six months to make sure I didn't yeah. smoke pot. No that's way. Crazy. I would have walked out. Just for out. pot? Oh my gosh. I would have walked out. I, could, I, well, I didn't even have the job. It was just yeah. the pre-drug test screening, but it was right. yeah. it was to be a slot technician at a casino. So I mean, it was a good job, but still I was like, well, what, what do does it matter? Right. What do you if need I to know what I did six months ago? Yeah. Yeah. Hiring and recruiting drivers was a top concern among 100, some 100 delivery business owners that gathered in last week, gathered last week in Las Vegas to brainstorm ideas to help their companies thrive. With the busy holidays shopping season looming, they're struggling to stand out in the tight labor market. Because it is tight, man. Everywhere is hiring. No one has a staff. I was just trying to order something during the last break so I could pick it up on the way home, and they're closed. All the restaurants are closed, and they all have, like, funky hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the stores close super early now. Like, there's no such thing as a 24-hour store anymore. I think Cumbies is... some of them are, like Cumbie, yeah. CVS. I CVS think is still 24 hours? They stopped being briefly, but they went back to being 24 hours. But I mean, there's no, there's like one person there. Oh. The rest of it, if you can't use the automatic cash register, if you need an actual person, you're going to be there a long time waiting on this one person to actually show up and be able to help you. 
So Amazon delivery contractors are often outbid by school bus companies where drivers can make more than $20 an hour and are home for dinner. Amazon contract drivers typically earn $17 an hour and often work late into the night to keep up with demand. Well, there's the issue. You have the state and its schools and its buses paying people more than Amazon, a company that has to actually earn its money, has been able to do. One solution is to raise their wages, but that can only happen if Amazon agrees to pay its delivery departments more for their services, which the company can be slow to do. So Amazon doesn't really want to pay people to deliver its stuff, evidently. Yeah, even though Jeff Bezos is a gazillionaire. I mean, he gave away half of his wealth and he's still one of the richest people in the world. If he's not back to being the richest. This pandemic has been huge for Amazon. Oh, yeah. I already used Amazon a lot, but then they implemented all of these stupid policies all around me. You have to wear a mask to come in here. I was like, no, I don't. I can just use Amazon. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. (laughs) So I'm as bad as any. I looked at my Amazon history one day a couple of weeks ago, and I was just, I jokingly said, oh my God, I'm the one who paid for Jeff Bezos to go to space. (laughs) I know. I don't even want to think about my Amazon history. It's pretty... It's pretty bad. Yeah, it, but it's such a useful service. I mean, yeah. they nailed it. A to Z, everything you could want. Literally you could buy... everything you could ever want. It's like, why would I go anywhere else? Yep. So, And they'll deliver it right to your door. Exactly. But evidently, they're looking for drivers. So that's good news for the for the pot smokers out there who are looking for employment. <laughs> Amazon and its uh, subcontracting delivering companies, they evidently won't drug test you, which is good because you're on marijuana. You're probably driving more safely than you otherwise would be. But that's it for tonight's show. You can join us in the meantime. Join our chat server, which you can find at chat.freetalklive.com. There you can chat with the hosts and other listeners of the show. Again, that's chat.freetalklive.com. See you there. This message is for you if you are a polyamorous person or you're in an open relationship and you are struggling with jealousy, loneliness, and communication problems. Hello, my name is Jeremy West, and I am a polyamory coach with degrees in psychology and communications and five years of experience with polyamory. And for a limited time, I'm teaching a free online class just for polyamorous people or people in open relationships where you will discover a new, simpler, and unique way to uncover the secret that experienced poly people know about jealousy that you must know too. Stop feeling lonely when your partner is out with another partner and use the four key elements that will change the way you communicate forever. No more crying yourself to sleep when you're alone for a night, a weekend, or longer, and wondering if it's better to go back to a monogamous relationship. Sound good? Well then, go to jeremywest.net slash free class and register for my class now. Again, that's jeremywest.net slash free class, jeremywest.net slash free class.